News bulletins are full of disaster stories. As I'm editing this recording, Australia is being subjected to a major flooding event. The day I recorded this interview, it was the 11-year anniversary of the Christchurch earthquakes, which to be truthful is pretty close to the bone as we only live about 100 kilometres from the epicentre. And today, I'm also seeing reports of the issues the invasion of Ukraine is causing not only for the population, but also for their pets. In the case of a disaster, have you got a plan for your pets? I chat with Sue Kinsella and Alison Vaughan, both from the New Zealand SPCA, about this. If you only listen to the next 30 seconds of this podcast, please take on board what Sue's comments are when I ask her the most important things you can do to be disaster ready for your pets. Ensuring that your pet is identified in a manner that can have your pet reunited with you in the case of an emergency or kept safe until you can come and pick it up from where it has been found. And secondary to that is have everything in a good to go grab bag in case of those sudden emergencies where you have to uplift and leave with little warning. So you can ensure that it's as easy as possible for your animals to transition into a temporary situation and then back into your permanent home. Time for some introductions, I believe. Well, my name is Sue. I've been with SPCA a little over six years now, both as a centre manager and then an area manager overseeing our centre group and teams of staff and volunteers in the Waikato Bay of Plenty areas. I'm Dr. Alison Bond, and my background is I'm a behaviourist and uh, background in behaviour research. I've been with SPCA for almost four years now, working on their science team. Are you a veterinarian dreaming about working down under in New Zealand? If so, I'd love to help you make that dream come true. Hi, I'm Julie South of VetStaff. VetStaff is New Zealand's only recruitment agency specialising in the Kiwi veterinary sector. We can help you find your dream job down under, from short-term locum assignments through to permanent employment and residency. Because we know God's own Aotearoa New Zealand like the back of our hands, we can match your career aspirations with a clinic that'll suit you best. Whether you're planning to work here for a few months or forever, if it's got anything to do with working in a vet clinic in New Zealand, we can help. Vetstaff.co.nz You are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr. Brian Greger from New Zealand. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world. It's probably fairly appropriate, if not a little bit heartbreaking. I don't know whether you guys realise, today is the 11-year anniversary of the Christchurch earthquakes, which is something which is pretty close to our heart down here because we weren't in the epicentre, but we were very, very close. So I thought what we might do is take the time today to talk about, for the want of a better word, disaster readiness for animals. So maybe the first thing is, can we just talk about what kind of disasters we are discussing here. Yep, certainly. Um, Well, we've got a whole range of disasters available to us in New Zealand, depending on where you live. But the main one is a weather-related event, which we usually have a little bit of forward notice for. And then we have our sudden event, an earthquake or an eruption, or similar that causes immediate displacement with little to no warning. Uh, So depending on where you live, you could have 
any range of um, both long and short warning events on the horizon from tsunamis and earthquakes through to major storms, wind, weather, and not to mention pandemic disruption as well? I guess primarily what we're looking at doing is supplying the needs to the animals which are involved in these kind of events. What are the basic needs that we are trying to give to the animals? Well, firstly, we want to keep our animals as safe as possible in any event. Uh, so preparation is key, being sure that your animal can be identified and returned to you if lost or missing. And the easiest way to do that is through microchipping, which if registered on the NZ Car database with your details up to date, is as simple as a phone call to return your animal to you should it become displaced. Secondary to that, there's identification collars and so on, but also the means to keep them safe and with you if you have to evacuate at short notice. So a way to contain them safely, to have their needs considered in your get out kit. So their um, cage or crate, leads, collars, food, any medications they may be taking up-to-date vet information if you are separated from your animal so you can give advice. Most of these things can be stored on your phone, which will usually come with you, but to have those physical items ready to, to grab and go is imperative. Off the back of what Sue was saying, there's some really great things you can do in terms of behavioral prep. So just like you can do drills with your children to prepare yourself, you can also prepare your pets because the last thing you want to be dealing with in an emergency is trying to get a very uh, upset cat into a carrier. So behavioral preparation like training your cat to go in their carrier, which can be as simple as leaving it out all the time, leaving some tasty treats in there so it becomes a good place to go. One thing I will say, obviously being fairly close to the epicentre of the Christchurch earthquakes, we had a number of animals brought down to Timaru for the overseas listeners. We're about two hours south of Christchurch here. Um, we, we got rattled around quite significantly, but there wasn't any of the damage there was in Christchurch. So through the SPCA, actually, there were a number of animals that were brought down into the South Canterbury area where we're from here. The frustrating thing was that there was a lot of the animals that ended up being rehomed because we couldn't actually find the owner of them. As Sue had mentioned, there's two relatively simple ways to do that. One of them is to have a collar on it, which has got my name as Tittles, my phone number is. The most important one, and bearing in mind that the bulk of our audience is actually overseas, in New Zealand we have got a registration system where microchip numbers are added to veterinary clinic records, but also onto a, a nationwide registry. So if you have got a microchip in your animal, and that's what I would really suggest that you do, is put a microchip in your animal. If the microchip isn't an anim in the animal, that's of no benefit unless that number is also recorded somewhere in, in a registry. So I'm sure that there are similar registries throughout the world. So it was really quite heartbreaking where we had these obviously really, really loved animals that we just couldn't find the owner for. Well, that's an interesting uh, point. And we've definitely seen that for real in New Zealand, for example, with the Christchurch uh, earthquake, where we found that microchipped animals, 80% of them were reunited. Whereas uh, for those who didn't have a microchip, the numbers were much, much lower. So that is if the single most important thing you can do. Make sure they're microchipped and make sure the contact details are up to date. Because one of the other really heartbreaking things we have at SPCA is these animals that come in and they are microchipped. But because the details aren't up to date, we cannot reach their owners. 
So can we just go back a step? You were talking about having these um, emergency kits sorted. Now, I suppose that there's probably two different types of those. There's the kit that you've got at home, but something which is probably equally as important is a transportable kit so that you can, if, if you have to pack the dog up or pack the cat up and go, you've got everything in one place. Could you just talk us through some of the things that should be in the home and the transportable kits. Yep, absolutely. So it's everything your pet will need for 48 to 72 hours displacement, primarily a cage or crate that they can comfortably stay in for long periods of time and sleep. Um, if necessary, they need their regular food, they need any medications they may be on. They also need some comfort, particularly if your animal is going to be homed at a shelter and you're in a motel, for example, a blanket or their usual blanket and something that smells of you or your family is, is a great comfort to an animal who's separated from its owners. Having as little disruption to their diet and emotional needs is the most important thing. So in, in my own pet's get out bag is three days worth supply of food, the medication one of my animals is on, and spare leads and spare collars. So should they get damaged or displaced, there's extra. I can grab one bag, put it in the boot of the car with my animals, and we can leave. It doesn't have to be too much stuff, but it does have to be enough to keep them safe, particularly if they're not going to be with you the entire time you're out of your home. How about things like first aid kits? Um, it may well be that the vet practices are closed as well. Is it worth having something for basic first aid? Um, from the perspective of what you can do as an animal owner, so some bandages to stop bleeding um, or a brush or comb to remove anything that's become caught or entangled in their fur, yes, absolutely. If you, if you normally run a, a regular groom on, on your animal or they enjoy being being brushed or being dematted, then of course having those utensils with you would be, um, would be awesome. But with regards to administering medications, particularly intravenous, that is something better done by a vet. So, Ryan, just to jump in on that as well, um, another thing that's great to prepare for in case of an emergency or your animal potentially becoming injured is uh, for dogs' muzzle training. So, like many things, preparation is the best way forward. When animals are injured, they can often react aggressively. And so having a routine where your dog, you have a well-fitted muzzle that can fit them and they're quite comfortable with having it placed on. And there's lots of great resources out there to go through um, muzzle training with positive reinforcement. So in the event you have to pop it on, it won't be an additional stressor. And to make sure that you've actually got it packed in your kit as well, I suppose. I don't know whether you guys saw there was a 5.4 earthquake yesterday back up in Seddon in the north of the South Island. So we're living with this kind of stuff all the time. I mean, to be fair, Australia and a big part of the United States is getting blasted, particularly through summer with bushfires. You know, there's the, the, the tsunamis that have just gone through Tonga and have caused issues around the place. So these things do happen. One of the issues that we came across in the Christchurch earthquakes were animals needing to go into boarding kennels or, or catteries and the owners didn't have their vaccination certificates with them. The veterinary practices were closed, so there was no way that 
that the certificates could be verified. So people were having to revaccinate their animals. So something else that's probably quite important is to make sure that you have got your vaccination records somewhere fairly handy. It may well just be, as Sue mentioned earlier, store it online, take a photo of it and store it on your phone so that at least then you can show it to the boarding facilities without causing any issues. Something else that popped up after the Christchurch earthquakes was something really basic. If you have an earthquake that goes through and knocks your house down, how do the people who are doing the rescuing actually know that there was an animal in there? So there was quite a push for notification stickers, something on your front window to say there is a cat in here or there is a dog in here. You know, I think that's just just something else to, to actually think about. We do suggest that if you are being asked to evacuate your home and you've managed to gather up your family and your children, but Fluffy's gone for a hike, um, it is preferable to leave a sign somewhere in your window or your door to say cat of this description has not been evacuated from this house. Or if the opposite is true and you've managed to leave with all your animals with you to notify of the same. So those who are checking on the, on the premises know that everything that you are worried about is with you and they can move on to the next house and the next house. Alison, can we just move on to your speciality of behaviour? After the event and the dog shot through it, ran 15k down the road and you finally got it back, or the cat disappeared and you've got the cat back, what do you do to reassure them? Because things aren't as they were. The house may well be changed. Certainly they've been through a very stressful event. What can be done to get the animals on a little bit more of an even keel? Yeah, so like many um, things that vets will be able to relate to, prevention is the best cure. So practice, practice, practice. Make sure that your pets are comfortable going in their carriers, that you do practice drills, just so that in the event that this happens, you will be calmer <laughs> apart from anything else because we do know that our animals pick up our, on our stress as well. So if you have a routine in the event of different emergencies and you're well-versed in that, that will be one of the best things you can do in terms of preventing stress. Like Sue said as well, routine is really core for our animals. So maintaining those comfort um, things, we call that their maintenance set. So that's familiar smells. So if you have items that are their favorites, make sure you bring them to their favorite toy. And then also set uh, meal routines, if possible, while you're away from home, being able to maintain them can be really helpful. So just as much of that day-to-day -day routine you can maintain as possible. And that will be also really helpful. But in the event that you see that there is quite a dramatic change in behavior, there are uh, interventions that you can work through with your veterinarian if they have uh, behavioral expertise. Sometimes they do need a bit of help. In the immediate aftermath as well, just some time to decompress. So maybe give it a day before you're taking them out on walks and this sort of thing. Um, it's just a day to decompress, be relaxed at home and start to feel a bit more safe again. There are also um, some really great synthetic pheromones uh, that are commercially available. So that's feel away for cats and adaptable for dogs. And we found that those can be really helpful in reducing stress because these mimic these um, pheromones that are comforting. Just another thing that I've actually seen happen too is that the dog came home very, very stressed. The owner thought, we'll take you for a walk. They open the gate and walk out with the dog with no lead on and the dog shoots through and doesn't come back for another four days. So I think until the dog does get settled, you're probably better off to walk the dog on a lead as well. Can we just change tack here slightly? We've been talking about the pets. 
what about farmers and lifestylists? What what can they do to prepare themselves? Yeah, so I'm actually originally from the UK and my family indeed have a what we call here in New Zealand a lifestyle block, but we probably call a small holding or something or a hobby farm back home. So one of the things that's really core, especially as Sue was saying, there are two types of emergencies, those that we can see coming. And so uh, a core thing with uh, your lifestyle block would be to make sure you've got feed and planning ahead, because what we see more and more frequently with climate change is not only these big weather events, but also things like drought. So we're increasingly seeing that across the summer, you may be running short of feed. So pasture management and making sure you have a source of feed and you're doing that before it gets to this emergency point are really key because we often see with SPCA where we're called into these lifestyle blocks is because animals underweight or you know this experience where there's not enough feed and they haven't been able to source it at that point and another core thing is making sure that you have a plan make use of your community so if you're aware your land is low-lying and prone to flood make sure you're chatting with the community and find a place where you could close by move them to in the event of an emergency, which has those basic needs. So make sure they're able to source shelter, that they're able to get onto higher ground if there's water, and that they have a good source of food. A number of our listeners are veterinarians. Have you got any advice on how veterinarians could prepare for these sort of emergencies, both with lifestylers and with just normal domestic pets? Well, with them, domestic pets would be encouraging that owners get their pets microchipped at the soonest possible. At the time of desex is the usual time that an animal will be microchipped, but it, it's a very, very short procedure and can be done with annual vaccinations. It can be done as um, an appointment on its own and it takes seconds. And, and ensuring that the details are, as Ali pointed out, correct, up to date, uploaded to the national database if there is one and stored with a secondary contact who may not be a person who shares the same house as you. So if your house has to evacuate, but the cat hasn't come home, there is someone else who can be contacted if you can't be reached. So if, if vets are having that conversation with all domestic animal owners who um, come through their doors, it'll really help increase the number of animals that can be identified in case they get separated from their owners. And for veterinary practices, they can also uh, get on board with things like national check your microchip day, check the chip day, um, which I believe in the US is August 15th. So just having these annual reminders where they can reach out to all their clients, even if they're not seeing them for an appointment and say, hey, are your details up to date? Um, because we do know that uh, the vets are a really trusted source of information and they have great reach to all these clients. So just these small things are so important. Can we just wrap up here just very briefly? What are the salient points? What, what are the important take-home messages from what we've been talking about today? Ensuring that your pet is identified in a manner that can have your pet reunited with you in the case of an emergency or kept safe until you can come and pick it up from where it has been found. That's the, the most important thing. And secondary to that is have everything in a good to go grab bag in case of those sudden emergencies where you have to uplift and leave with little warning. So you can ensure that it's um, as easy as possible for your animals to transition into a temporary situation and then back into your permanent home. I guess it comes back to that old scout motto of being prepared. Alison and Sue, thank you very, very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. And so ends another episode of the Vet Podcast. 
For more information on disaster preparedness, I've put a link in our website, which is vetpodcast.weebly.com, and also on our bio site, which is beacons, B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash vetpodcast, which links back to the New Zealand SPCA Animals and Emergency site. This site has got a wealth of information, including a really handy checklist on how you can set up your emergency plan, as well as links to organisations like the New Zealand Veterinary Association and MPI. Really well worth looking at. In saying that, everybody just keep safe and take care. And that's it for another episode of the Vet Podcast. All of our links are in one place at beacons.ai slash vetpodcast. That is B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash vetpodcast. And while you're there, don't forget to buy us a coffee. On behalf of me, Brian Greger, and everybody else involved in the making of this podcast, thanks for listening and we'll catch you again soon. Mm-hmm.